Hello and welcome. Welcome to this week's Intelligent Property Investor Masterclass. I've got a doozy for you this week. There's, uh, there's quite a bit going on. Obviously, a lot of things have stalled, but there's still a lot of stuff that's pretty interesting in what's happening, particularly at a global level. Now, the reason I really want to bring this forward is because you're being misinformed. There's a lot of crap out there that's creating a lot of fear, and I want to set the record straight. Because when you can cut through fear, uh, you can actually go through to success. Fear is the one thing that holds you back. Fear is, is false evidence appearing real. It's not even real. It's, no, it's, it's nothing. But we get so caught up in the media and everything else that's going on that we forget about uh, the real facts. So that's what I'm here to give you at least a little bit of today. So what are we going to be covering? Well, the election. <laughs> but what it's doing, it's actually underwriting strength in the property market. The markets um, have found support with the new government policy about first home buyers, and the sentiment's actually starting to catch up with this lift as well. But global investors are experiencing something very different to what we are here. They're experiencing something called stagnation. Hmm, what's stagnation? Well, I'll get to that in the, in the little bit of a talk we're gonna be having shortly. And why Sri Lanka um, is uh, in a huge economic crisis and why we will never get to that point. And it's pretty important as to what the reason is there. And why global investing trends to be good news for Australia. I tell you, we've got some good news stories coming out of, out of everything that's happening overseas. Now, it's tragic what's happening in some countries overseas. But I'm afraid it actually augurs very, very well for Australia. Now, look, before I get into it, if you're listening to me on any one of the podcast forums like Spotify or iTunes, please go across to my website, iloverealestate.tv forward slash questions. Or if you're a member of YouTube, you can subscribe to my channel there as well, uh, just so that you get the charts. I think it's super important that you actually see the charts that I'm presenting as well. So let's start with the election. Now, one of the big um, things to come out of the budget is the first home buyers um, guarantee scheme. Now, what's happened with this? We had it before, it's been extended, and now what's happened is they've raised the caps. Because we've had prices go up so significantly, um, this guarantee hasn't really been uh, working particularly well for uh, a lot of the big capital cities because the prices have pushed out beyond what the caps allowed. Well, the caps have actually changed. And now there's 40% of suburbs that actually qualify for this uh, loan scheme boost. So what is it? Well, from the 1st of July, the price cap for homes available under the scheme will rise by $100,000 for most capital cities, uh, except for ACT, which is actually rising by $250,000. So it's good to be a Polly's kid, I suppose bit cynical there, I know. Um, but uh, the cap for, for uh, Sydney has come up to uh, $900,000. It's $800,000 for Melbourne, and it's $700,000 for uh, uh, Brisbane and, and um, Queensland's main areas, etc., and $750,000 for ACT, just to name a few. You can go and Google your own city and see what it comes up to. 
Now, what is the guarantee scheme? Basically, it means that a first home buyer can get into a property with as little as a 5% deposit and the government is guaranteeing the further 15%, which means that there is no mortgage insurance. And mortgage insurance can be significant expense. Now, I know you don't feel it when you buy a property because it gets added to the term of the loan, but it's still tying you into debt for longer. So, you know, it, it helps out the first home buyers. So uh, you can see there how um, the, uh, the share of the suburbs that are actually eligible for the first, uh, these, these new home uh, guarantee grants. And Greater Sydney, obviously, it's not that many. Um, it was running at 6.3% currently, but it's going up to 16%. So 16% of Sydney, can uh, people can afford to buy in under these caps. Melbourne, uh, it'll go up to nearly 23%. Greater Brisbane is, is 37%. Uh, Greater Adelaide is 30%. Perth is 48%. Um, Hobart is nearly 20%. ACT is 3.5%. And nationally, it's up at about 40, 40% there. So the houses I read out for you there. But obviously, for units, it's much, much higher. For instance, you know, nationally, we're running at an 81% of suburbs across the nation will actually qualify for this extra guarantee scheme. Now, there's a bit of an announcement come out by uh, Tim Lawless from CoreLogic, who put out a lot of really good data on, on real estate and what's happening. He says, lifting the threshold is a positive outcome for housing demand. The higher threshold should help to support housing demand across the lower priced detached housing markets as interest rates rise. Stronger demand for first home buyers and single parent families uh, could help to keep a floor under the, uh, under the housing prices in suburbs where the larger portion of houses meet the price cap of the policy. So basically what it's saying is that this is going to buoy up the bottom end of the market. And as the bottom end of the market buoys up, well, guess what? That filters through to the higher end of the market. So uh, it's, it's, it's good news all around. It's adding to the weight of, uh, of strength in the property market. Now, the second thing I want to talk to you about is how Australia is actually being protected and our economy specifically protected from some of the stuff that's going on internationally. You see, global sentiment has softened in recent weeks and uh, growing fears around stagnation. However, these fears have fueled demand for commodities, which is good for Australia. So what is stagnation? Another one to add to the, to the, the new dictionary, although it has been around for quite some time. Stagnation is when we have inflation going up, but the economy is actually going down. So uh, in, what happens when, when you have that kind of effect? So uh, the inflation's going up, but the economy is going down. What happens is it creates a little bit of uncertainty. It creates a little bit of, of um, fear, I suppose, in the markets. And this happens. So this is globally. This is not Australia, okay? This is globally. There's massive amounts of pessimism amongst the, uh, the manufacturers and the employers and, you know, the, the industry out there. And it's significantly low. Um, in fact, it's down as low as it was post-GFC. So that's how bad the pessimism is, is overseas. 
That is not necessarily the case here in Australia. Uh, this actually shows when, when the, um, the manufacturing industry, private industry we'll call it, when private industry is concerned and has pessimism, what they tend to do is pull it out and put it into cash, particularly the fund managers. Now, this is a survey done of fund managers. So remember, we're talking about stocks and shares here a little bit. So uh, when the fund managers are nervous, they pull them out of the, the investing into stocks and they put it into cash. And you can see there on that chart how the cash reserves have gone up when we've had you know, little bits of things going on in the market. Obviously, things like the Ukraine war, um, what's happening with all the buffering going on with China. Uh, you know, we've still got the Middle East bu bubbling on. Nobody seems to talk about that anymore. Uh, all of these things create uncertainty. And that uncertainty creates pessimism. So what the fund managers do, because they're always the most jittery, they pull their money out of the stocks and they put it into cash. And that's what that chart is really showing. This, again, is showing, you know, the similar kinds of, of figures here where the financial markets, a.k.a. the fund managers and the stock market, etc., um, they, they're showing their risk index, and their risk index is pretty low at the moment. And again, it's because of all that upheaval happening around the, around the world, really. So stagnation. The expectation is that, um, you know, it's going to go higher. So there's, a, there's an overall upward trend for inflation. And this is mainly due to commodity prices, fuel, oil, um, iron ore, all of these things which, which generates um, the world going round and round and industry and, and between countries and all of those things. What it means is that they're going to go up mainly because of what's happening in Russia, uh, Russia and Ukraine, sorry. Russia is a major producer of oil as well as other commodities. Now, why is that good news for Australia? It's good news for Australia because commodity indexes are going up. The prices of commodities are going up. And what are we? We're a commodity producer. So as we produce more of what we've been doing anyway, there's more demand for what we have. Prices are going up. We make more money. We create more jobs. That, that extra money in people's hands, where does it go? A lot of it goes into property. And that is why we have this strengthening in the Australian economy, which is running in the face of what's happening internationally. So commodity boom shields Australia from global slowdown. And I've got to add to this yet again. Because remember, and I don't know whether you're old enough to remember really what happened, but when we had GFC, the global financial crisis back in 2008, how did they recover out of the global crisis? They spent a lot of money, printed money, spent a lot of money, put it into infrastructure. And that created the massive boom between 2008 right through to basically COVID. So, you know, there's 12 years there of massive upward growth that happened as a result of this. Now, when we had GFC, Australia didn't really have as bad a GFC as most people in the Western world. I know some businesses went broke and all those things and, and, you know, depending on your industry. But by and large, Australia was strong. And we actually ended up having a two-tiered economy where the mining industry was booming, but some of the smaller manufacturing was, was dying. 
So um, we've got this thing again. Now the mining industry, once again, the commodities industry. I can't say mining. It was mining boom back then, but it's it's the commodities boom now. So it's agriculture. You know, it's gas. It's it's iron ore. It's coal. It's um, you know all of the 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 primary production that we do. That is what is going to shield us against what's happening internationally. And you can see here just how the commodity prices have gone up. Now, obviously, energy prices have, have uh, surged. They've come back a little bit. Um, but, you know, the base minerals is where we are very strong. And you can see how much higher uh, we are there than we have been for a very long time. But even food, you know, the, the food index, the pricing there has gone up. Now, obviously, that affects us um, locally here in Australia badly because we pay more at our grocery store. But internationally, it actually helps us because we're a big exporter of food. So, you know, it goes in twists and roundabouts, but basically, Australia's on the right side of, of this equation. So here are some key statistics for Australia. And you can see there the business confidence is actually pretty good in Australia, unlike what's happening in, uh, you know, the, the Western world. Uh, you know, we've got, we've got capacity, capacity utilisation there running at around about 83%. Um, uh, you know, we've got a percentage change. Labor's going to go up. It's going to go up further. Uh, our costs have gone up. But by and large, our end profits have gone up as well. So we're still making money. We're still very profitable. And that's a good thing for the country. And it's a good thing for you and me in the property market. So the forward orders are pretty high compared to uh, where they have been previously. You can see we've come off a little bit. Now, this is, this is a real indicator of how confident um, private business is to get out there and spend for, uh, for, for new things. So we're well and truly up on that, and that's all a good thing for Australia. And all of this comes down and rests itself in the property market, which is a wonderful thing, as I say, for you and I in the property space. Now, I want to talk to you about Sri Lanka. Why on earth am I talking about Sri Lanka? Well, they're going through a massive, massive economic crisis right now. And the fear is, could it happen in Australia? Well, let's look at what's actually happening. Sri Lanka is facing the worst uh, financial crisis it has had for 70 years. Food prices rose by a record 30% in March alone. The price of white rice, which is a staple in Sri Lanka, has gone up 90%. Just get that. Think of your favourite food and it going up 90%. Now, the cost of living uh, in a, what is really a tourism-reliant country, and nobody's there having tourism at the moment, has become... Uh, unbearable for most of the ordinary people living in Sri Lanka. Thousands are taking to the streets in massive, massive protests. And, you know, they've had people die and all sorts of things in these protests. Even people who are queuing for, for, um, for fuel, people have died because of the, you know, the, the heat and the long wait and everything else while they wait for fuel to take back to their families. I mean, it's really affecting the um, you know the, the everybody in the in the community. It's not just a government to government thing. This is serious. So what's happened? Well, basically, there's been mismanagement over a lot of years, and over the past decade, the Sri Lankan government has borrowed huge amounts of money from foreign lenders. Now, 
from up to January to April this year, sorry, January to uh, to April last year, to give you some indication of their debt bill, and this is a whole year away, it was nearly a billion dollars just for that quarter to repay the interest that they had borrowed. There's $35 billion that's been borrowed. Now, m nearly all of this is in US dollars. Now, remember that because I'm going to tell you a story in a minute. It's in US dollars and it's, um, uh, you know, it's from a lot of countries that are going to foreclose on Sri Lanka. Uh, it's, it's just a horrid, horrid story. And I know you're getting all scared going, oh, my goodness, we've got so much debt here in Australia. There's a massive difference and I'll show you how. Uh, Cash-strapped Sri Lanka has taken short-term loans from India, from China, from Bangladesh. And in June, they, you know, the Bangladesh loan, they actually um, loaned them an additional, on top of what they'd already lent them, $200 million. In January of this year, Sri Lanka appealed to China to reschedule their debt, which basically said, I can't pay you. You know, can we stick it out on the never-never plan? In February, it borrowed $500 million from India to buy oil. And in March, India gave Sri Lanka a billion dollar line of credit to pay for essentials like food and medicine because they're the near neighbor and they don't want to see their neighbor, you know, dying, di neighbors dying in the street because they haven't got the money to pay for, for food or medicine. Um, as of February, Sri Lanka only had 2.3 billion in their foreign exchange reserves. Now, with debt repayments of around $7 billion due in 2022, including $1 billion in international sovereign bonds, which is ISBs, um, maturing in July, Sri Lanka may, may find itself with no usable resources, which means it's bankrupt. At $12.55 billion, ISBs, or the international sovereign bonds, make up the largest share of Sri Lanka's foreign debt, with the Asian Development Bank, Japan and China among the major creditors. The International Monetary Fund said public debt has hit unsustainable levels and foreign exchange reserves are insufficient in the near-term debt payments. This is crazy, crazy stuff. This is a country that is bankrupt. It cannot afford to pay the loans that it's taken out. Now, this is mismanagement to a massive degree. Now, what you see here is the government in March, among other things, prior to that, floated the Sri Lankan rupee. That move appeared to be aimed at the fact that it wanted to devalue the currency, which it certainly did, um, to qualify for a, for a loan from the International Monetary Fund. However, the plunging of the rupee against the US dollar only made things worse. Most of Sri Lankan's loans are in US dollars. So think about this. We've got, um, we've got the, 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 the rupee being floated against the US dollar. So whatever it does, it, it, it's free to go up and down. The rupee fell dramatically. So it's all on demand and supply. Nobody wants the rupee. Nobody is, is trading with them. There's no tourist dollars coming in, any of that kind of stuff. So what you see here is that it, you know, it went up um, about, you know, you can see there it went from like 200 to 310 
uh, rupees to, to the US dollar. So massive spike. Now, the reverse side of that is the value of the rupee went down. So, and it took a massive dive, not just a little, and it took a massive dive really, really quickly. So why on earth they would ever do that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard when they're in such dire straits and, you know, they, they, they don't have the money to repay them uh, prior to floating the dollar, let alone after it made it even worse. And they did all of that just so the IMF would, would give them a loan. Well, to get them into more debt. Oh, Inflation is at 18.7%. Now, we're whinging at three. 18.7%. Imagine that. That's how much everything is going up on average every year. Sri Lanka is suspending payments on its foreign debt as its economy uh, economic crisis worsens. No kidding. This shows you uh, the bond market. So one of the ways that a country can, can get money is they raise a bond and says, we are the government and we will repay you with this much interest. Well, guess what? Nobody wants a Sri Lankan bond right now. Nobody wants it because, uh, you know, the, the, the instability in the economy is dire. To give you some idea of just how how little they are actually collecting now because all the cost of everything's gone up. Fuel, anything that's imported, food, um, you know, all of the, the resources for industry, that's all imported. So when your dollar or your rupee goes down, you have to find more to buy the same thing that you bought last, last month, last year, last whatever, um, for a whole lot less. This is, this is really bad news. So this is a tax revenue as a percentage of their size. So there's 22-odd million people living in Sri Lanka. In 2012, 18% of GDP as a percentage was collected in tax revenue. In 2019, it was 13%. By 2022, it's 8%. Now, here's the big, big, big thing you've got to get. In 2012, 36% of its debt was in US dollars to foreign countries. In 2019, it was 63% of its GDP in, in US dollars to other countries. This is not the case in Australia. Sri Lanka is in a debt crisis. 65% of their debt is in US dollars compared to a big fat zero for Australia. We will never face the kind of crisis that Sri Lanka is facing right now. We, we can simply print our way out of it, for starters, because our loans are in Australian dollars. Now, this is massive. And, you know, a lot of the stuff that you hear internationally, and it all creates a whole lot of fear. Don't let fear control your life. Because that fear renders you unable to act. This fear stops you from taking up positions in the greatest real estate boom that we are going to see again for decades. Have we missed the boat? No. No. There is so much more to be had out of this market. Is it going to be at, you know, 20, 22, 25, 30% growth in a year? No. But is it going to be 7 or 8 or 10 or maybe even 15 in some places? Yes. And that's why you need to get off your butt, 
get your head in the right spot and stop fearing the boogeyman around the corner because that's all the mainstream media is feeding you and it's bad for you. You know, it's like sitting down and binging on chocolates or alcohol. It's bad for you. Stop it. <laughs> Stop it. We've got to get out of that. Now, the, your first step into actually getting out of this fear space and working out where you are and where you want to go is to sit down with one of my real estate breakthrough sessions. Now, they go for about 60 minutes. They are free. They're gonna, my advisors are there going to talk to you about where you are and where you want to go to, how we can help you, all these things, and overcome a lot of the fear that maybe is paralyzing you and actually stopping you from achieving your goals and getting ahead. Uh, and all you've got to do is to take up one of the appointments. Now, there's a, there's a number of them there. They, they do get snapped up pretty quickly. It's iloverealestate.tv forward slash questions forward slash. And uh, that'll take you to a page where you can click on and get, a, get an appointment with one of the advisors. But be prepared. Come to the appointment with your goals, with your financial situation, um, and the things that you want to make happen. You know, just... Just understanding yourself and where you want to go is a massive step towards achieving it. And look, we don't sell properties. That's not what we do. But what we will do is sit down with you and go through some of the things that you can do to start to, uh, to achieve your goals. So that's it for me this week. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, this is the Intelligent Property Investor Masterclass for the week. And I'll catch you again very soon. Bye now.